Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. From NBI Studios. This is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 12, Episode 7, The Fires. We have been having massive technical difficulties for the last hour. Um, Zach recorded a beautiful intro just a few minutes ago that we've lost. Uh, our Patreon video went out. Our YouTube live stream went out. Uh, we're now on a phone. Uh, so with that being said, we we kind of had a hard out, and now we're starting about the time we were supposed to be out. So we're going to get right into the content. Let's go. All right, real quickly, we've got to we've got to move through all these questions pretty quickly today due to the hour of technical difficulties. So I have four things that I wanted to discuss with you, Zach, and and with Janet, real quick. Just some some things that uh, have been going on. I, I want to kind of button up um, or three things that I want to talk about right now. Uh, one is the pen. Does does anybody has anybody gotten any closer to figuring out if it's the same pen or not? I have no idea anymore. Like I've looked at it and looked at. I spent hours looking at this pen people are convinced it's there i don't see it i i don't know anymore the tip yeah and then people thought last week when we were talking about threads that we were talking about the springs inside of the plastic that's not yeah that's not what we were talking about but i just had somebody a listener i feel but people are spending so much time i've never (laughs) felt dumber in my life because some of this listener like on instagram I mean, they took the time they put videos together and overlays and put all this stuff and they're like so as you can see clearly the tip is there i'm like man i'm so still can't i don't see it i cannot see it even with everything you just did Mm -hmm. i want to see it so maybe it's just one of the blue dress gold dress things yeah i kind of feel like that's where we're at anymore because i i've said that too i've had people absolutely 100 percent said nope the tip is there i can see it here's why i've had photographers reach out and say exactly that and i'm like i can concede that maybe i'm not seeing it but honestly i just don't yeah, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying like I yeah. there are people that are saying, "Oh, I very clearly can see it. It's right there." And I'm looking at it going, "I don't know what you're talking about." Mm-mm, I don't see yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you're right. We probably just have to put it to rest in that we don't know enough to say whether that means anything or not. I think do you feel like we just need to go ahead and accept like for the purposes of this investigation, we just are going to sort of accept that it is one and the same pen? Yeah, I think we have to. What I what okay. I know is that we're not going to prove with that picture unless I can find the original. The problem is that photo was embedded into the arson investigation report. So it's right. not like the other police photos where I have an original clear shot of it. So for now, I guess we just we work on the pretense that it is the same pen and and we it, the pen's coming back around later when we get into forensics. 
Okay. What's your number two thing? Number two thing. Uh, I posted a photo on the uh, on the interwebs on all of the at Truth Justice Pod social media this week. Asked everybody what they thought the photo was. I didn't want to give anybody any clues as to what I thought it was. You two, Zach, I'll start with you. What did you think it was? So you and I played this game. About oh, I forgot I showed it to you a long time ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, we played this game about six months ago, and uh, I was under the impression it was completely different than what it what we believe it may be. After you and I talked about it, I see where you're coming from. I will say what I thought. I thought it was some sort of a bone, something along those lines. I, I didn't see. I mean, that's where I was going with it. Jana, mm-hmm. what was your first take at first glance? First glance, I thought it looked like a van slip-on shoe. I saw exactly where I thought the sort of tongue part was at the top, and it looked to me like the toe point was was off to the left. So I was the same. So I was scrolling through. This is real early when I first got the case file. I was scrolling through thousands of crime scene photos, and all of a sudden I saw that one. I said, oh, shit, there's the shoe. Like, immediately I thought that was a shoe. Uh, the next day in the office, Mike came in, and I said, Mike, real quick, don't think, what is that? He goes, it's a shoe. It's a shoe. Okay, great. So there's, I'm pretty sure there's a shoe. Zach came in five minutes later. I'm like, Zach, real quick, what is that? And he goes, uh, a bone? <laughs> and Which is not, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Zach. Zach yeah. That's why I put it out that way, because I didn't want to influence what people thought. And then later with you, if I remember correctly, I was showing like, no, it's a shoe. I think it's a shoe because look, here's the tongue yeah. and here's the heel. And you're like, nope, just like the pen. Like, don't yeah, see it. I, I, I didn't see it. I, I guess I can kind of see it once I look and really dig into it. But I, I didn't see it for a while. I will say that the response on social media was about 95% shoe. Yes. Is what most people thought it was. Uh, had some people zoom in and and are convinced that there's a face in it. What? Yeah. And oh. it's creepy. Like, it's, I mean, they had to zoom way. They're like, it's right there. I'm like, I don't see anything. And they're like, they zoom in like, no, it's right there. I'm like, nothing. They're like, look, right there. And they zoom way in like in what I think is the leather tongue. Mm-hmm. Yes. There is what looks like a face. And they're like, is that a melted driver's license? And I'm like, uh, which I don't think, I think it was just the way that the burn pattern. Or is this the Jesus in the toast? Or, or Jesus in the toast. Right. 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 Yeah. So that's a, that's a thing too. And then uh, although people thought body parts. It's weird. I don't know because there's this photo where they clearly thought whatever they found was significant enough to take a photo of it, but I haven't found documented anywhere what it was. There's no evidence tag. There's nothing like. But we know that they didn't collect. You know, the, the impression we got from the arson investigators that, or from the the defense, was that they didn't collect the gas cans. Even we know they didn't take the wheelbarrow. We know they didn't take anything from inside Becky's car other than a couple of items. So it's like the arson investigator found it, photoed it. Or somebody photoed the corner, whoever it was, and then I don't know what happened to it. We did hmm. find in the evidence inventory, though, there's a list of all the stuff, and there's one line that says a single shoe. So I think Ooh, that okay. may be it. Okay. But I'm okay. not positive. Okay. That's good to know. Other thing I wanted to touch on, the third thing was um, the shoe print that I mentioned a couple of, And I remember we talked about on the show. This, this It came up on social media after I put out the episode on the crime scene with the footprints and stuff that... There was an FBI agent that testified at trial after the officer that did the initial photographing and um, uh, of the of the tire tracks back into the desert. Mm -hmm. An FBI agent testified that they looked and he was asked to analyze a small partial print that he said matched Becky's globe shoes she was wearing. And he used to compare it to what would be the from the FBI database, what would be the left uh, a left globe logic shoe and she was wearing globe logic shoes 
and it, it matched perfectly to his database image. But when I looked at her right shoe that she still has, I couldn't make it fit. And you're supposed, you got you got to take a mirror image. That's how the footprints work. And I just couldn't make it line up. Like the the logo went the wrong direction. Well, through the help of a whole bunch of listeners that all did tons of work on this, the the big question they had was we didn't know what direction the logo would be from the left shoe to the right shoe. Like would it stay oriented the same angle? Would it rotate 45 degrees on the other shoe? Would it rotate 90 degrees? Uh, one of the listeners found a picture of the bottoms of two. They weren't Globe Logics, but they were very. They were about the same year, similar shoes, and we saw how the logo rotated like 45 degrees from one shoe to the other, from left to right. Hmm. So I was able to use that image to then make a mirror image and rotate Becky's uh, right shoe to create a left shoe. Uh, long story short, I guess I'm getting real technical, but we put all this stuff together that all these listeners did and figured out what Becky's left shoe would have looked like. And it is a perfect match to that print that is in the, is in the dirt. A couple of caveats to that. All we know is that it could have been the left globe logic shoe. We don't know what size it was. And we don't have timing for any of the tracks out there. It had been clear with no wind or rain for like three or four days before this. So we don't, we, we don't, that doesn't necessarily mean Becky was standing there that night or we, or the Becky was standing there at all. Globe logics were a very popular shoe brand back then. And according to her friends, it was not uncommon for them to walk around back there. Right. Uh, but, but it, it appears that it very well could have been Becky's left footprint. So I wanted to make sure we cleared that up. Great. And uh, that's all I have for pre-discussion before we get into the question. I know I'm moving fast, but as I mentioned, we're in a kind of a time crunch. Was there anything else before we get into the listener questions you want to touch on, Janet? No, I'm happy to jump in. All right, let's do it. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Okay, Jeremy asks, please describe the conditions of the fire in the wheelbarrow. I still don't understand how the expert can nail down the 30 minute duration without knowing the intensity of the fire. Or maybe they had some way of knowing the intensity. Uh, so I promised Jeremy I, I would get this question in first because he and I had a long back and forth about this on the fan page. And, and so I wanted to be able to, rather than typing, be able to speak this out. So the I'll be honest with you. I went into this episode being very skeptical of the body burn expert. I hadn't read the testimony. I knew that a bo- I was told that they had a burned bodies expert come in who gave a, a time frame for how long Becky's body had burned. And I thought that's bullshit because it, with normal arson, uh, normal fire investigation, that's one of the things that kind of makes it junk science is you oftentimes have arson investigators that will state things that they know that they can't possibly know. It's a common problem 
So I'm like, well, there's no way that you could do that with a body. As it turns out, and I did more research about her and her organization, the study she's done uh, since then. Elaine, Dr. Elaine Pope knows her shit. I'll put it that way. I mean, she has, they have, they have done so many tests on so many different, different bodies. And in her, I couldn't post her um, actual report. It's, I don't remember, it's 40 some pages long and it includes all the photos of Becky's body. And it includes many, many photos of experiments that they did where she drew her data from. And there's just no getting around it. And the and the big the big thing that gives it away is the the condition of the ribs and the conditions of the organs inside the ribs. All of the experiments that she put into her report were all similar condition where it was accelerant put onto a body that was about the same size as Becky's. It was a female body and was on a hard surface like the wheelbarrow. So they're all pretty similar and. To be honest, I thought she'd burned a lot longer than that. But when you look at the studies and you look at the 30-minute mark where it shows what the temperature was, how long it had been burning, and the conditions of the body, there's like – I don't think she was burning for 30 minutes. I think when in her testimony, she says 30 minutes is the maximum, but she leaned closer to 20. Based on her experiments, that's by 30 minutes, the the rib bones are are crumbling apart, and Becky's were not. I just feel like the 20 minute timeline, though, seems very, very short. It seems like it would almost throw a wrench into our whole timeline. Right. And so that's in. So that, so we get this window, 20 to 30 minutes. It could have been up to 30 minutes. I think we know it had to have been at least 25 minutes unless I'm wrong about, you know, her body was lit last right as they were leaving. You know, maybe moments before uh, it could be between the 911 call and when Tim Summerlee got on the scene. It's pot. That's very possible. As far as the intent, the, the big question that Jeremy had was, how can she know? Because she based that on some accelerant, but what if they poured a gallon of accelerant in there? Or what if they right. burned her body with wood? The point is, whatever, it, we know that it wasn't burned with wood. There are no remnants of any fuel like that in the uh, wheelbarrow. So, mm-hmm. so we can rule that out. So it had to have been an accelerant. Uh, there, there would also be indicators if it had been like a large volume of accelerant, it would have it would have soaked into more clothing. It would have went lower down on her body. Uh, there'd be more different burn patterns on the wheelbarrow itself. It, it couldn't have been like like you know like they filled the wheelbarrow up with accelerant because that would have created a huge flame for a very long period of time. What happens with accelerants is just as she she described is you get a big boom flame that's really tall, five six foot tall. But then accelerant, they have such a low flash point, they burn off very, very, very quickly. And and that's what seems to – everything fits that that's what happened in this case. Is that pretty regular across different accelerants too? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so it wouldn't really matter whether it's diesel, gasoline, lighter fluid, anything like that. Exactly. So they, they use – because in order to be classified as a flammable liquid, the flash point has to be at a certain point. Uh, in her experiment, she mixed diesel fuel with gasoline – which didn't change the temperature, you know, by anything notable or the amount of time that it burned. The reason she mixed the diesel was to keep it from to make it for safety reasons, so it mm. wasn't as explosive when you okay. light it. It wouldn't be a big whoosh. It would be a slower, or not as, but it would still burn off in almost the same amount of time. the The main catalyst that for a burning body, and in particularly Becky's body, is the fat burning. So whatever the whatever was used. To make the initial flame, whatever accelerant was used, 
really doesn't matter because that's not what is going to get in and start burning the body. That's just an initial flash, burns for a maximum two minutes, and that creates just enough heat. And then and then the clothing starts to burn, and then that's what starts to create enough heat to start to crack the skin for the, the fat to start to liquefy, and then the fat becomes the fuel. So whatever started it, the sustained burning happens from the fat on the body. And that's what then and, – and again, when you go back – Jeremy had mentioned a few, he's like, I'm just thinking back when I put, you know, things on a, on a barbecue grill and cook that are fatty and certain, you know, they burn different ways, different temperatures. Somebody mentioned uh, that, well, yeah, but a cadaver is, you know, drier and not the same condition as a body. These cadavers were frozen. The people that donated their body to science immediately upon death, and then they're thawed out, gotten to the correct temperature. So all the fluids are still in there, just like any other normal body. And when you look at the studies case after case after case, she has never been able to burn a body under any circumstances and have less damage than Becky had at 30 minute mark. So, so if we were looking at say the, the scenario where, well, what if they dumped two gallons of diesel fuel in there? In that case, that would burn hotter, longer. You would expect more damage, which would mean it would shorten the time, not lengthen it. Because it would burn, it would burn hotter f- for a longer period of time. Because that would burn hotter than the than the liquefied fat would burn. So there, there's just no on the back end under any circumstances. And some of the experiments she did do with wood instead of uh, accelerants or different all different types they did in any circumstance when the human body is exposed to heat from a fire like that for 30 minutes by the 30 minute mark. The bones are crumbling apart in every scenario, in every possible way she did it. And Becky's body was in the perfect place to burn. Not only was there a hard surface where the fuel couldn't just like soak into the dirt or, or, or flow away from the body. It's also curved up. It's a bowl. So it held, it, it held all of the, the accelerant right up next to her body the entire time and it couldn't escape. So there, I, I don't see any scenario, any way to get past that 30 minute mark that, that she put in there. And again, I think that is, that's a true based on what I saw in her study. I, I think it's a stretch to think that it could have been 30 minutes. I think it's closer to, I would say closer to the 20 minute mark, probably based on what we know around the 25 minute mark at the longest that her body was burning. Okay. A couple of things come up for me on that. Um, one is I know something we're going to get much deeper into in future episodes, but I am very curious how that how her testimony and her reporting helped or hindered the state's case if it was her, if it was their expert. Um, I know you'll be talking about that more, but uh, I'll be very interested because I know you said the timeline and the time frame is very, very important. So I'm excited to hear more about that in a future episode. Uh, another thing that comes up for me as you're talking about this that we are going to dig into a little bit more with some listener questions is this idea of sophistication, criminal, criminal sophistication. You have already described from this arson episode how the fire and the way it was set to you lends uh, credibility to this idea of it being somebody who kind of knows how fire works. And the way you've just described using the wheelbarrow, uh, really, I hadn't thought about it in this way until you just described all of that. But for me, the alarm bells are going off back again, like, oh, wow, this is a very good choice for someone who wants to burn a body quickly. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's part of what drove that home for me was 
initially the the fire in the house I, i've been to and have invested have fought and investigated probably close to 100 fires where accelerant was used to light the fire i have never seen one where there were just a couple spots strategically placed lit on fire to let the house burn down now granted i worked in a more um in a more city environment where response times were much faster so if you wanted the house to burn down, you'd have to use a lot more fuel because we get there a lot quicker than you would in pinion pines. But what you usually see is gas poured throughout the house. And then a lot of times like what we call a trailer where they'll either use some sort of flame light, like paper towel or something or they can light and then walk away and let it burn up to the gas. Or they'll just do like we used to do when we lit bonfires where you pour gas all over the bonfire, which by the way, don't do this. It's very, very dangerous. Uh, and then and then pour a little bit of gas on the grass for about 50 feet away from it. And then you light the end of it and watch the flame run up to the fire and then it, it explodes. Um, so, like, to me, there's it, it, I, I'm when I'm seeing someone who didn't put fuel on the bodies in the kitchen in the laundry room, that that's a big one, because that's, you know, if they're looking to conceal the crime, which, again, you know, Becky throws that off because that made it pretty obvious it was a crime because she's in a wheelbarrow. Um, but it, it keeps accelerant off of the area where they know the fire department's going to be looking. They put it in a place where, to be, to be honest with you, I think that they were smart enough to know that they would buy themselves some time. They were smart enough to know that response time is slow, so I don't need a huge fire right at first. They were smart enough to know that this is a very quiet, very dark place at 930 at night or whenever it was. Uh, so... If they if they poured gas throughout the house, lit it up, and it and immediately erupted into a huge ball of flames, everybody's going to be alerted immediately, and they still have to flee the scene. So instead, they light two very small fires, possibly one upstairs, and also it's possible they didn't actually light the one that is by the garage, but they left a ventilation path where it started with a very small fire, gave them time to get away before it got big enough, before anybody would notice it. And they know that the fire department's going to be so slow that the house will burn down anyway, which is what their ultimate goal was. But then if we go back to the order in which things took place, I mean, you just mentioned it, this question about what they did with Becky being the first thing that they did and then moving into the house. That does make it a little bit more confusing than just sort of a well thought out plan. Let's get in. Let's get into some further questions from from listeners, because I think we're going to address some of that here. Um, And you've already addressed a little bit of what I have in these fantastic listener questions. But one question I wanted to get out there early is from Kristen. If the firefighter knew there was a body burning in a wheelbarrow, why wasn't that the first place they went to try and save her? Let's just get that readdressed. I think you talked about a little bit in an early episode. um, But can you talk about that briefly? Well, it was the the first thing that that uh, Captain Jeff Williams said that he did. the first thing that he ordered was for her body to be extinguished. But one thing that is very important for a fire officer to be able to do is what we call systematic risk management, which is to assess the it, it, they're, they're very hard decisions to make. So I've been to many fires where you show up and somebody's screaming that, you know, fill in the blank is inside. Go help them. And then we have to look at those conditions and determine, OK, could there be. Oh, we always term a savable human life inside, or is that person already dead? So the point being, once once Captain Williams saw the body, he knew obviously, and and if you were to see the photos, you'd know why it's very obvious that she couldn't be saved. But 
another protocol that is uh is it was a it was a red line policy um a red letter policy for me and my SOPs when I was the fire chief and for me the, the a red letter policy meant if you violate this you automatically are suspended for 3 days without pay uh things and they're all safety issues like wearing a seatbelt in the fire truck uh and one of them is for an incident commander must do a 360 walk around of the scene when they get there it it, it forces them to look for any safety hazards to get a full picture of the scene so they can develop a proper strategy. And so what he did is he got there, he immediately jumped out of the truck, did exactly what he's supposed to do. He did his 360 walk around, you know, at the road, Tim Summerlee said there's a body in a wheelbarrow, but where the wheelbarrow was located, I think when he got out of the truck, he probably didn't see it. Um, We're talking small flames at this point. So he walked, he does his 360 walk around as he comes around the back of the house, gets to the path that leads directly from the back door to her body. That's when he sees the body. He goes to it. Looks at it, he knows she's dead, but his first order he gave was for his crew to pull a hose and extinguish her body. Got it. Okay. And then we have, again, just with Kristen, a a follow-up question, Uh, Kelly, Valeria, all of these folks are really just trying to wrap their heads around how this went down. Talking about, again, if Becky was set on fire first, why didn't they put her in the house instead of burning her in the wheelbarrow? Kelly wonders, is it possible that they had planned to put Becky in the house, but live ammo started going off? Trying to think about what, what reason could be that they would keep her in the wheelbarrow and not just move her body in, knowing that they were going to be burning the house anyway. Valeria adds to that, I can't get my head around the logistics of the unsubs chasing Becky. Were they carrying guns? Do they have flashlights, gas cans? How are they seeing her in this darkness? Uh, how do we think they caught and killed Becky? Could there have been more than two perps? Okay, you might have to remind me of those along the way. But as far as the logistics, what what these listeners just mentioned is part of the reason why I think that Becky was burned. I think she was lit on fire first. I think it's pretty clear from the two different guns that we have two different unsubs working here or unidentified subjects. And I think that it makes sense to me. The only way I can make it make sense to me is that, you know, there there's a struggle with Becky. They've left forensic evidence on her. Again, we have I think that we're dealing with a, a pretty high level of criminal sophistication. So they say, OK, well, let's put her in the wheelbarrow and light her on fire. I think after they did that, and, and and also the fact that the gas can is not found by her body, that that it's, you know, now it's possible they brought their own and they took it home with them. Um, but we have all the gas cans that are found in the in the garage, one in the walkway on the way back out of the garage, not a place you would probably store it. So the fact that they would take that gas can after they lit her up and then they were getting ready to leave and carry it into the garage and place it there doesn't make doesn't make sense to me. But I think that it's very possible they lit her on fire. They had shot the people inside. They lit her on fire strictly to um, to cover up any forensic evidence. And then they thought, well, as long as we're lighting fire, maybe we should just go ahead and torch the house, too. Okay. So the thing I think about with that, though, is we keep assuming that there's two suspects that are doing everything. Isn't, isn't there any possibility that there are two suspects, but they're in separate motions here? Yes. One chases Becky. Maybe chases Becky, gets her, realizes they've messed up. Now they can they come back, converge, say we need to do we need to burn this. Great question, Zach. Yeah, I, th- I think that's 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 very possible that there's two people with two different mindsets working differently. But but th- th- that's kind of my it's just a hypothesis. But but my take on it is Becky was burned first to hide forensic evidence, and afterward they decided, well, let's burn the house too, since we're we've we've already lit a fire. 
let's burn the house too, because who knows, you know, if, we, if there was a struggle in the house, we don't know what forensic evidence was left inside. It's a big crime scene. Let's just burn it down. They did that last and then they, and then they leave the scene. Well, and see, I think that's where, where I'm trying to come at with that is I think it shortens the timeline. If they've killed Becky, realize they need to burn the evidence instead of lighting her, then going to the house and lighting it. It's two separate act. Like one suspect goes to the house. The other right. suspect comes, gets right. the gas, goes back to Becky's body. It shortens that timeline because if, Oh, just, I see what you're saying. If yeah, they're yeah, just yes. lighting the body and then going back to the house. Yes. You know, you've already shortened the timeline. You said it's 25 minutes from the time she's right. been burning, but you have to get in that house, place that gas, light it and get back out. Now the Summerleys are there. Right. So I, I almost feel like they went back to that garage, got the gas can. On, on that note, a listener did point out on the dispatch log, Tim Summerley was not the first 911 call. So okay. that changes our timeline a little bit too. The first 911 call came in at 951 and the name of that person is on the dispatch log. Okay. It's not Tim Summerley, which means his call came in sometime after that. Hmm. And he saw flames coming from the peak of the roof, but the other person may have just seen flames. They may have seen Becky burning and the house fire wasn't lit yet. But but definitely what you're saying is so like, you know, one guy's out there, I'm going to light her her body on fire. And then the other guy's like, well, what do you, we're going to, we were going to light the house on fire. Now she's already burning. Let's burn the house too. Right. Um, but, but what, what, what doesn't make sense, first of all, like live ammunition going off. No, that's not a possibility because of the, the fire conditions when Tim Summerley arrived would not be to the point where live ammunition be like, you've got to get a really, in order for, for rounds to start popping off on their own like that, which I've been to several fires where that's happened. The fire has to be real hot and prolonged. When got he it. got there. There were flames coming out of the upstairs window, and that was it. And there was we know also there was a fire burning at the base of the stairs, but he couldn't see that. The entire house was not consumed yet. It wasn't to a point where ammunition would be popping off yet. Also, the, as far as oh, the conditions were too bad; they couldn't have got her body in. That doesn't work either because again, of the fire conditions when he got there. And remember, and people have said, well, yeah, but there's fires lit at the two doors, two of the doors. But the back door, which is the one that I theorized that she came out of, it's where Vicky's body was, was just inside of it. The other two bodies are right there. There was no accelerant poured at the back door, so she easily could have been rolled up there. It's one of the other reasons why I think the wheelbarrow is a red herring. I don't think they were moving her body with the wheelbarrow. I think the wheelbarrow was there. It's a perfect place to start the kind of fire they started, so they put her in it and they lit the fire is what I think happened. I'm so glad you clarified all of that. I mean, I just want to quickly say, again, I think it's using the word red, words red herring. We don't necessarily need to do that because I think that we still are learning something about the sophistication of the criminal by the choice of the wheelbarrow. So it's still very important, right? Right. Well, I would I would say that I would what I mean by that is the fact that the container they burned her in has wheels and has tracks coming from the back desert. Right. That part is that the red herring. That part is the red herring. Absolutely. Um, I want to quickly just acknowledge Amy had a great question about the surface, about the wheelbarrow. You've absolutely answered that, um, talking about why the fire burns hotter and that it is this sort of bowl shape. You've also answered some great questions from Marie, just in the conversation we've had so far, talking about the idea of a fresh body versus a frozen body. It's a sensitive thing to talk about. I think she handled it very well with her question. Um, that brings me to my question, which is is, have we come any closer to understanding Becky's cause of death? I think that we've all but narrowed it down. Now we're going to, now this episode this week is on the medical evidence. So I guess it'll, it'll be answered there, but um, 
I think she was probably shot, but you'll we'll get all those you know, all the reasons why um, coming up in Sunday's episode. Okay, great. Uh, let's uh, talk a little bit more about the sophistication of the the Firestarter. I think Amanda had a, had a question about that. I feel you've totally covered that. Great question, Amanda. Just wanted to know more again from you about being a firefighter and being a nurse and investigator. Uh, what made you think it was sophisticated? I feel like we've we kind of uh, hammered that in pretty well. Um, and I love Emma's question, and you've answered that as well, which is she was just wanting to clarify, was it they, their intent all along to set the fire, or was that decision made when they knew there could be evidence left behind? That was the other thing I said I forgot I was going to say, which was I'm so glad you clarified that because for sure I left the episode this week thinking that they still had already planned to set the house on fire. So knowing that you feel that it's entirely possible, if not likely, that that gave them the idea to set the fire in the house is kind of a game changer for me. So I'm, I'm really, really glad that that came up. Um, great question. Great question from Emma on that. Um, Lynn says, I'm questioning that, however. She's questioning that the arsonist had great knowledge about fires. She says they only started fires at the entrance egress doors, knowing John and Vicky weren't leaving. She's thinking fires were set there to delay access to their bodies. Any thoughts on that, Bob? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I would come back to the fact that the one door they didn't light up is the door closest to the bodies, you know, so they're they're aware of it. So I, I don't think that it was a delay tactic for the firefighters. Um, it's a good point that there were, you know, because there was a fire by the front door and there was a fire by the garage, the door into the garage. But they didn't light a fire by the back door, uh, right. which would be an easy place to access. So I, Unless I think they felt like ran out of like, time. Yeah, I, well, I don't think they ran out of time. I think that they wanted to keep the fire small, and yeah. they wanted to light them in in places where where the the natural draft and movement of the fire would catch the whole house on fire as they were leaving. So I have it written on my notes: placement of accelerant big on my notes. And so you believe that that's like they knew what they were doing. There's no, I mean, we we don't think there could be any chance of just dumb luck that they. No, it to could put definitely it there. be dumb. I, I nothing's a hundred percent. I just to, to me, like if I was looking to burn that place down mm-hmm. and use the least amount of accelerants possible, that's exactly the two places I would start fires. And I and I one hundred percent track that because I went through it when you when you posed the question of like what would you do. Well, in my head, I mean, not that I know what I'm doing, but in my head, you, I'd put the gasoline on the bodies, right? Wing it around the house, light it. And that's what every circum, every fire, yeah. arson fire with accelerant I've ever fought. That's exactly what happened. Yes. Okay. Yeah. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 
18 plus. Jonna says, knowing that accelerant was used, uh, do you believe it was an item found from the crime scene? I know you mentioned earlier, Bob, that it could have been brought by the arsonist. If we're talking about level of sophistication, if they had been planning on setting a fire, is it more or less likely that they would assume that they would have an accelerant on hand uh, or that they would just find one on the scene? Um, but if they were never planning on burning anyone anyway, um, perhaps it was from the house because that was just a decision that was made on the spot. Yeah. And, and I want to be clear that there's no way that we can know that. We're just, you know, we're right. surmising and looking at probabilities and just trying to analyze behavior. So it, it, to be fair, it could go either way. They could have brought accelerant with them. They could have just stumbled into the fact that there was accelerant there. I think there are also indicators that whoever did this was familiar with the house and the residents of the house, uh, which mm-hmm. I get into a little bit more on Sunday. So it could be somebody who knew there was gas in the garage. Um, all these are possibilities. Okay, great. The more we dive into this, the less I feel like it is an accident. You know, I, I think that's proposed that it was an accident, not not the the murder, but like there was they there was an accident that killed Becky. Then they had to cover everything up after they accidentally killed Becky from an argument or whatever it may be. And I feel way more like this was planned to go out and do what they did. There's some information coming out Sunday or my analysis of some information that to me really seals the deal and tells me that this was that whoever came to do this came with murder in mind. Um, And and we can just, one thing that we can, you know, just as of now think about is there's no, there's no indication that there are any guns missing from the house according to the family, which means whoever did this came to the house with two guns. That, is really difficult to couple with, oh, there was a, a crime of passion. Something got out of hand and something that wasn't supposed to happen happened. To me, that is a, is a huge indicator that whoever came there came there to kill. So in other words, if there were they, there were known guns in the house, but they were accounted for in the rubble, uh, in the ashes, even though so much had been burned, they were metal. So anything like that would have been accounted for. Right. They found, I believe it was four guns in the house. And then if I understand, if I understand correctly, that the, the family, as far as they knew, those were the only guns that they owned. OK, uh, quick shout out to Jim from an, a past YouTube chat. You know, we had some great arson questions coming up in the in the past couple of weeks. Thanks to everybody for participating in those live chats. Um, he had he had been asking again about this idea of the accelerant path right where Tim Summerley was kind of standing and near and saw. I thought you did a great job in this episode of addressing how perhaps the garage door could have closed, how it would be possible that while the accelerant wasn't burning when Tim saw it, it could actually have uh become so and that could actually explain the garage door so i'm i'm so glad you included that i think a lot of people were probably really really glad to hear that there was another possible theory from what we've been discussing robin asks is there a theory possible that the murderers either left via the forest or hid out there because neighbors arrived so quickly yeah i and i get into this a little bit on sunday too um it's just my my own hypothesis so this is not fact or evidence but i'm leaning really in towards the fact that the killers came on foot, that either they were able to, to leave on foot and get back to wherever they lived, or because I believe this was an intentional murder, uh, that they were, and we are dealing with someone with, with criminal sophistication. I think it's very possible that they parked the car at a remote location and then hiked into or walked to the scene so they could leave by flee by foot. And part of the reason I think that is because now we know 
There were three phone calls that went into the fire station. We know there were at least two 911 calls, all within five minutes of each other. So, again, it speaks to you. That's why the, the neighborhood is so important to understand here, how desolate and quiet and dark it is. With just a small fire burning, it, the fire was still small when Tim Summerley saw it. And he was not the first caller. He was probably at least the fourth caller, based on what we know now. Five people called in this fire, which means within moments of the fire's ignition, you have five people, five households that are on high alert. And no one in the canvassing reports seeing a vehicle driving down Alpine Road, hmm. leaving the scene. Uh, and I just find it, 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 it seems very difficult and then now couple that with the time limit that Dr. Pope put on how at what point Becky's body was lit on fire. The way that timing works, it seems almost impossible that no one would have seen the the offenders leaving the crime scene in, in a car. Which So I'm leaning towards they probably did walk to the scene and then left on foot to get back to their vehicle or they just were able to walk to wherever they lived. And if if it was that that dark, they would have to have some familiarity with the area, even up to just the point of like, if, I mean, if you can't use a flashlight, how well are you even able to see what's right in front of you if it's that dark, right? Yeah, it would be hard, but you know, you do have, so we don't have a moon in the sky, which makes it pretty dark, but you do have, you do have a lot of stars in the sky. So there's, yeah. there's a, there's enough light that your eyes can adjust okay. to the darkness. Okay, great to know. Quick question from Debbie, just talking about the arson investigator and the sort of conversation about circuit breakers that came up in the episode. Um, does the arson report or photos of the breaker box, anything like that, offer up any relevant information that we need to know about? No, and that was I. You know, I was doing the episode, I was writing the episode in real time as I was studying the reading the report and the and the testimony, and I thought, well, okay, because he points out, which is exactly right, like you always want to look at those breaker boxes. Because, you know, you have, like, like I mentioned, firefighters were trained to kill the utilities before we go in and fight the fire. So at some point, power gets shut off. No more breakers are going to trip. So if you look at the ones that were tripped, and if you can trace those to see what circuits they are, what rooms they go to, give you a good idea of where the fire started. And he mentions that, but then he never mentions where they went. So I don't know if that just got you know, kind of put on the back burner because, you know, they were able to figure out where the fire started because there was very clear pore patterns of accelerant on the floors. Got it. Uh, let's talk about the red truck for a moment again. You know, you just said it. Why didn't anyone see anyone driving out? Could people have been on foot? I'm sure many people on hearing you say that in this follow-up are thinking once again about that red truck. Lauren says, do we have a timestamp on when the fire truck saw that red pickup that made it hard for them to pass? And Caroline also asks, how does that red truck on the road fit into this possible 20, 30-ish minute timeline? We don't have an exact time, but we know... According to Captain Williams, when the initial dispatch came out at 9.53, they were already en route. The location where he says that he came across the truck was way down in the south end of the neighborhood. So it would have been early into his response. So if we're trying to – I was trying to do this the other day. I would estimate based on what time we think they left the station and where they were at when they encountered the truck. It was probably somewhere around 9.55. Uh, when 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 he came across the truck, which would be um, nine fifty five to ten, somewhere right in there. And if we think the fire, if Becky's body couldn't have been lit on fire 
any sooner than 946, that's kind of our window. Like, say, if she was lit up on fire at 946, and then there's nine minutes later, the truck comes, it comes across the truck. Uh, it's very possible. Again, those roads are treacherous. They're hard to navigate. And if you, and if you take somebody had to maybe walk or run a half mile to get to a vehicle before they jumped in and then tried to take off to get out of there, uh, it, I will say it's, it's very easy to come up with a scenario where that truck does fit. Okay. All right. Well, that's great to know. Uh, I want to quickly circle back on the item, the p- potential shoe. Um, Kathy asks uh, if the item you posted, and it's a big if, capital letters if, if the item po- you posted on the internet for us to look at was found under Vicky, for example, would that lead you to believe she was upstairs? Obviously, she's sort of thinking about um, what you talked about on the episode and finding something underneath where it maybe wouldn't necessarily be unless something fell on top of it. Yeah, it wasn't found underneath. It was just in the same area. And I was only able to tell it was the same area just by looking at all the crime scene photos together and piecing together where it was found. But it wasn't underneath her body. It was just in the same general vicinity between like the laundry room and kitchen. Got it. Mary, this kind of big picture. Mary asks, I'm trying to keep this real time. I have not researched this case beyond what truth and justice has given for evidence. How is murder slash suicide not a possibility? Uh, there's no gun by the bodies. So, okay. you know, it was murder, suicide, whoever the whoever the, the person that 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 completes the suicide at the end of that. And if they, they used a guy they're they were both killed with guns. The gun would be right there next to them. And there yeah. wasn't a gun found next to them. There you go. And this is just last question is actually for me, but I'm sure we're going to get into this with the investigation by the police. Any interest in sharing with us what prompted the reinvestigation in terms of leading to arrest 10 years after the crime? We've talked a lot about the fact that interviews are happening so many years after. We've you've, You mentioned the fact that there was an arrest made of the two guys who are now in prison and then the charges were dropped. Um, was it just a situation of a cold case investigator saying, I'm going to jump back into this? Or do you want to save all of that for future episodes, which is also totally fine? Uh, the details we'll get into later, but essentially it's politics. Uh-huh. Um, okay. I can tell you that it's, it has a lot to do with, yeah, yes, a cold case investigator, a DA's race, um, and it has a lot to do with politics, why they were, there needed to be an arrest. Okay. Uh, Michelle, just very, very quickly, I know so that was my last question, but just looking at our, our very, very brief YouTube chat, um, there are a couple questions about f- future stuff as well, like Michelle saying, will you be adding more crime scene photos? Um, that's sort of the main thing. And if you're still feeling like um, there could be actually a firefighter perpetrator who would know all of this and could have been in the area. So just wanted to throw those in there. No, it's fine. The, the, the crime scene photos, it's hard. So there's, there weren't a lot taken. So like I've posted all of them that are taken that don't have a body in them. So there was a lot. So there's a ton of crime scene photos, but most of them are of the bodies. If there's some that come up that are that are relevant that I think you need to see, like, for example, I wanted you guys to see Becky's position and her the her shoes and the way the sock was. So I was able to I took the time to redact that one so that you could see that without seeing her body. But there's just not a lot that don't have a body in them. Um, What was what was the second part of that? Uh, The second part was just um, if if your opinion was shaping more and more into the idea of it being someone not just with criminal sophistication, but with actual working knowledge of law enforcement or of firefighting. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely leaning that, that direction. I do want to point out and we need to further develop this and do some research. 
Uh, but I want to shout out uh, Debbie, and I'm doing this for memory, Debbie Shutterberger. I, I apologize, Debbie. I don't exactly remember your last name. Um, she's been a longtime listener and... Might be Shutterbug. She, I think it's Debbie Shub- Shutterbug. Shutterbug. There you go. Yeah, yeah like she's, she's a photographer. photographer. Shutterbug. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I'm not positive that it was her, but I think it was. But they found there was a firefighter that was working at... Pinion Pines Fire Station, Station 30, that was arrested 10 days after this for another unrelated murder. Whoa. So that's something that we need to look into. Um, we're going to dig into more. So it, it, it just came, it came up. I haven't dug into it much um, other than to find out. what. And actually, listeners all found out. Found I think Laura Heaney was also part of that. Um, they they found out that uh, who's another listener. Um, that his arrest wasn't until 10 days later. So he was out and working. He was actually arrested at the fire station. So that is something that we're going to dig into a little more. Uh, and I know you said that was the last question. I also do want to yep. touch on, uh, and actually this, this is the one that might've been Debbie Shutterbug that may have been someone else that found the other, uh, the, the thing I just talked about, but uh, someone, a few people noticed that in the arson investigators report, he noted that there was charcoal, that was still hot in the grill that was right outside the back door. Kind of they, they called it a back patio area, but there's no concrete. It's just like just a flat spot in the dirt outside the back door. Mm-hmm. Um, he know that it hadn't been cooked on, that there was, there was, there was fresh charcoal that was burning and was still hot indicating that they had lit charcoal and were getting ready to grill, but never got a chance to put food on it. Um, so I just wanted to acknowledge that I saw that. I don't know what to think about that because remember DeHart didn't get to the scene until 2 a.m. And the fire occur, you know, emergency responders got on scene by 10 p.m. So we're talking four hours by the time he even got there. Who knows how long into that that he finally got around to the charcoal. I've seen the pictures. They're in the, they're in the report. It is very clean briquettes that are in there that are all gray like they get when you're burning them. Yeah. I don't, and this could be something we could experiment with, but from my own experience grilling, I don't think that if they had lit them on fire, say at 9, 9.30, that they would still be hot and not just completely burned away by, you know, four hour, four or five hours later. So what I'm leaning towards there is, and I don't know how relevant it is either, except for people thought maybe they were getting ready to cook dinner for someone else. Maybe they had company, but they got to also remember that the, that that grill was like five feet away from the house and there would have been an incredible amount of radiant heat. People, people think that the orange part of a flame is what makes things catch on fire. It's, that's just a visual representation of the heat. Uh, but all it takes actually is the heat, the temperature to make the, for things to get to their ignition temperature. So it's possible there was charcoal in the grill and then the radiant heat from the fire is what ignited that and why it was still hot. I don't know. That's really interesting. Yeah, so it's just something I don't know what exactly it means or how it plays in, but we want all the information we can uh, we can have, and that's something that was found by listeners. I I, I read past it, but I didn't think much of it uh, until they brought it up. But I wanted to make sure that we we pointed that out. No, I'm glad you did. We all just learned a little bit more about how fire works, and it plays such a huge role in this case. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Um, Well, listen, we had a hard out. We didn't make it, but we have almost an hour of content because we had such great listener questions. Zach, as always, you're bringing such a great perspective. Uh, I feel satisfied to end this follow-up episode. I cannot wait for next Sunday. Yep. So, and speaking of which, we've got a couple things coming on. So, So this Sunday, in two days, 
the episode, I'm going to be covering the medical evidence. I'll tell you up front, it's a very short episode, one of the shortest, the shortest one we've had this season. Uh, and you'll see why it's because the, the autopsies are two pages long and the Emmy's testimony is 22 pages long. Nobody asks a lot of questions, but we go a little bit beyond that. I end this episode with, uh, delivering what I, I to the point where I think we're looking at as far as a profile for the offenders. So all of that is coming up on Sunday. Also next week, there will be no follow-up next week. I'm going to be on assignment, so I won't be available next week. So we're going to have this episode Sunday. Guys, talk amongst yourselves, and then the following Sunday, we'll have another episode, then we'll be back to our regularly scheduled follow-ups, hopefully without all these technical difficulties, and we'll be on YouTube Live for that. And with that being said, uh, Janet, thank you. Zach, thank you. Uh, All of you listeners, thank you guys so much for sticking with us. And for those of you that – and there was a ton of you that were on the YouTube Live that just broke down and we weren't able to use – uh, so um, I'm sorry for that and thank you for joining we'll hopefully have that issue worked out by uh, in two weeks when we come back yes indeed thanks everybody thank you guys NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our fonts across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. Thank you.
for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro, driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.